You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast. AKA Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from bicyclists who have pedaled to places all over the U.S. Each week, we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? All right. Well, on the show today is Fred Zelt. Hey, Fred, how are you doing today? Okay. How are you, Kathy? Good. Really good. So I guess I should say we're recording this um, Oh, on April Fool's Day. I hope you're not going to trick me with anything. No. Okay. <laughs> it seems like March 32nd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, 2020 and it's crazy times as far as um, the coronavirus, the COVID-19. And so I'm assuming that is why Fred created a Facebook page, which we're going to get into in a second. But Fred, you created this great new Facebook page with, I don't even, I last time I checked, it was over 3,000 members. And it seems to be exactly what cyclists need right now. So I wanted to get you on the show. So it's called the Social Distance Cycling Club. And I want to kind of hear a little bit about that in a second. But first, let's find out a little bit about you. Give us a highlight of where you live right now and what cycling used to be like. Well, I live in Pittsburgh. I grew up here and and went away to college and then worked. So I was away for more than 30 years, moved back here almost five years ago as a retiree. And uh, the place I chose to live, um, it's up on a hill. Uh, this is a, a plateau that's cut into with rivers and streams. They're typically 400 feet high, uh, the, the hills top to bottom. So I live at the top of a hill. I can take a, an, a funicular <laughs> with my bike, an inclined plane that's public transportation down to bike paths along the rivers. Mm. So there are great flat bike paths along, along the rivers. There's a network of those. And more coming all the time. You can cycle from here to D.C. on bike paths. Oh, wow. Um, or if you're more adventuresome, uh, there are these hills. Uh, there's a Dirty Dozen event every fall where it's a, it's kind of a race up 13 of the steepest hills they could find. I think <laughs> one of them is 37 <laughs> percent. What? So, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's there's mountain biking, too. I haven't gotten into that, but I've been interested in that lately um, using these hillsides and woods that are abundant here. Uh, for mountain bike paths. So, you know, there's road cycling uh, in the countryside. Uh, There are rail trails out there, too. There are flat paths along the rivers. There's urban city cycling, all of that here. Nice. You've got a little bit of everything, it sounds like. Yeah. And uh, gravel riding is getting to be a really important part of people's cycling lives. Do you have gravel there as well? Yeah, I have friends who do that. I I haven't gotten into that myself, but they found places that are good for that. And, and from what I see in here, it, it looks really good. I've got to, I've got to try that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really think of the rail trails as being gravel rides in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they go on uh, gravel roads, the gravel trails here, like the gap trail, it's fine crushed limestone. It's really well maintained by volunteer groups in the summertime. If it hasn't been raining, you could you could ride a bike with uh, 23 with uh, tires on that, no problem. Oh, nice. So they're not, uh, I don't really think of those as gravel mm-hmm. <laughs> rides. Yeah, I've interviewed quite a few people on this podcast that have experienced the Gap Trail, and I've heard nothing but great, great, great things, and it's it's on my bucket list. Yeah. So you are, you mentioned that you're retired, and from what I read, you are a retired geologist. Is that correct? 
Yep. I, I took my first geology class in high school here. Um, I was fascinated by the idea of exploring and, mm. and seeing things that no one's ever seen before, split open a rock and be the first one to see that particular fossil. Oh, sure. So I uh, studied it in college, in grad school. I ended up in the oil and gas industry. I worked for Exxon and then ExxonMobil for 30 years and had that experience many times there of being the first one to see a subsurface seismic data set and try to understand what was there and whether there could be oil or gas there that no one has imagined before. Mm. And if you think it's possible, then convince people that it actually could be there. And sometimes it works out, gets drilled, and it's a discovery. So all of that was a, a lot of fun for me for a long time. I worked for them for 30 years. Oh, yeah, that sounds very interesting. We have a bike ride in Iowa called Ragbri, and it's a seven-day tour. And I think it was last year or the year before we went through Geode State Park. And mm -hmm. so there was a guy there that I'm assuming is a, was a geologist or at least was a fan of geology, and he was cracking open rocks. And it was amazing to pop those open and see the geodes. And I ended up with like probably more rocks that I needed to have on my bike <laughs> the rest of that day. But it was just so exciting to see it. Yeah. Last year here, I offered just a one-day excursion that combined talking about the geology and why the landscapes are the way they are, why the hills and valleys are the shapes they are with a bike ride. And I think 150 people expressed interest. I really didn't want more than 16 or 18. Oh, man. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking forward to doing more of in the future. Yeah. When I've been on uh, the cross-country rides, I didn't do this so much the first time, but after that, I love to give people a, a talk about satellite images of the landforms and how that relates to the geology. It's one of my favorite things about geology is helping people understand why the landscapes around them are shaped the way they are, that there's an underlying reason. Mm. Wow, we could have a whole different podcast on this because I would ask silly questions like, you know, how did the Grand Canyon become how big yeah. it is? <laughs> that would well, be great. <laughs> it's, it's got a great story and it's not as simple as you might think. Well, so then it's safe to assume that you're an outdoorsy kind of guy. Yeah, a lot of geologists get into that field uh, because they love the outdoors. And again, for me, it was also a sense of exploration and discovery. And as far as, you know, we mentioned the Gap Trail and some of the places around uh, your home, but are there any specific, like, great places to ride in your area? Well, the part of the Gap Trail that I love the most is from Ohio Pile State Park uh, to Connellsville. It's a downhill. It's, it's going toward Pittsburgh, but it's in the upland area. And Ohio Pile State Park, there's whitewater there, the Yokogany River, and you follow along the Yokogany River down the mountain. Um, so you're on a hillside. You can hear the river below you. You can see it in places. It's one of these west-facing high areas, kind of like the western Adirondacks also. The Laurel Highlands, where I'm describing, gets a lot of uh, lake effect rainfall. And because westerly winds, uh, the water, air is rising, cools off, and it, there's a lot of rainfall there. So mm -hmm. it's just lush with um, ferns and trees, and it's just a, a really gorgeous ride. Nice. Uh, that's a, an especially nice segment. And if you said it's all downhill, do you turn around and go back up, or do you get a ride back? Well, with me, I've, I've done it as part of one-way rides mm -hmm. um, in the past, uh, kind of on the way to Pittsburgh. But there are lots of services. Uh, if you wanted to, you'd be able to find a ride. 
uh, to get back. Nice. Well, let's get into this Facebook page that you created. It's called the Social Distance Cycling Club. And I guess that times like right now that we're experiencing, it's pretty obvious what Social Distance Cycling Club means. But why don't you get into like what inspired you to start this particular Facebook page? Well, for me, things changed a lot on March 10th. Mm -hmm. That was the day I really realized things were going to be different and uh, had a couple events planned. One of them, together with uh, cycling apparel manufacturer Aerotech Designs, who are here near Pittsburgh, we'd partnered on putting together a a Pittsburgh Bike Film Festival for Sunday, March 22nd. And uh, on the 10th is when I realized... (laughs) for other reasons too than the coronavirus that this this just wasn't going to happen the theater was bought by a management company and it wasn't certain to be open even in the best of circumstances uh, by the 22nd at that point so um, we knew that that went away and i had more time because of that going away i planned to leave pittsburgh on april 10th for a six-month bike ride oh wow and i had some preparation to do for that too but that all went away as well Mm -hmm. so i kind of had more time and I was feeling sort of frustrated. I, I was expecting this community cycling event and the bike film festival to happen. And so I'd been thinking about online events and just thought I would experiment with this group. When I first made it, it's a little more than two weeks ago now, I kind of hoped it would only be needed for a few weeks. Oh, yes. <laughs> because, you know, we didn't know as much then as we do now about the duration of all this. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, when it got a few hundred people, I was pretty surprised. And now today, I think it's over 3,700. Wow. And it seems to get a couple hundred more every day. Yeah. And it's it's really not everyone who's in it engages, really. But there are plenty of people who do engage. I looked at the metrics, and it's more than 70,000 posts, comments, and likes right now. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, what do you think the reason is for the popularity well, I think, I think like me, there are a lot of cyclists who would like to be out riding more than we safely can right now. Mm-hmm. And we're used to being in groups, too. A lot of people cycle in groups on the weekends. Not everyone. A lot of people, some people do like cycling by themselves exclusively. But lots of us uh, like cycling together, too. And it's, it's kind of a, a group of common interest to encourage each other right now and, and see what we're doing. And, you know, it's been great seeing all these different places. There, there are places I've seen on this now I didn't know existed before that now I want to go see. There are rail trails in different places. Even even in the, in the area where I live, uh, here near Pittsburgh, I've seen a particular trail I didn't even know existed mm-hmm. along a river. Yeah. And you mentioned, I guess you're from Iowa? Yes, I'm from Iowa. <laughs> it seems like half the people in the group are from Iowa. Yeah. Over the weekend, it seemed like half the posts showed the high trestle bridge. Yep. Yep. <laughs> which I'm, as, I'm assuming a lot of people, because I, I did see some of the comments on that bridge, which is, you know, a really cool place to go. How many people were commenting like, whoa, 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 I guess I'm gonna have to come to Iowa once this is all over. Like you mentioned, there are some really cool photos that are popping up on the site. And uh, I need to probably start making a little list of places I want to go. Yeah. I had no idea Iowa had such a vibrant cycling community, and it's great. A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. 
Well, have you had a chance to analyze the members, like where most of them are from? I mean, you mentioned a ton were from Iowa and what kind of riding they do. Yeah, I haven't really made a a spreadsheet or anything or or found that kind of analytic. But I know there are members. Well, I think probably most members just watch, right? Yeah. And it's 3,000 plus. And I know there are members in Australia, New Zealand. I know somebody joined from Vietnam. Uh, I know there are members in England and Wales and Scotland and Belgium, uh, Romania, um, France, and Spain. Wow. Um, But most of them are from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and really, the, the center seems to be Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have RAGBRA. I, I talk about it almost every podcast where I mention RAGBRA, but it is a pretty amazing uh, bike ride that, you know, there's over 15,000 people that do it each day. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. And I think that because of that, group ride or tour, um, the people that are attracted to your Facebook page are a social group. So they are like needing that, you know, venting area, like, oh, my gosh, usually, you know, this weekend, I'd be out with 50 other people, and we'd be cruising along a trail and stopping and meeting other people we know. So all of that's gone. Yeah. I don't know which came first, the Iowa Cycling Community or RAGBRAI, but they're both there now. Yes, definitely. And, you know, uh, like I mentioned, we're recording this on April Fool's Day, but April is, for a lot of people, they kick off their biking season with, it's called 30 Days of Biking. Mm -hmm. And I think it's based out of Minnesota, but it's something that you can just pledge to do. It's on your honor. Uh, There's a website called 30daysofbiking.com. And so it's an interesting dynamic because this year, when I do 30 Days of Biking, it's going to be almost solo rides by myself and trying not to go find groups of people. I did I did something like that last year here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Every New Year's Day, there's a, a morning ride, and a couple hundred crazy people uh, go out on New Year's Day and ride here. And I've done that a few times. And last year, after that, I decided I was just going to ride every day for a while. I had a two-and-a-half-week ride coming up uh, from Maine to Cleveland in late May and June. I thought, well, this will be training for that, and I'll test my clothes out because there are going to be cold, rainy days on that mm-hmm. route. So I'll test clothes out. And I just decided to ride every day. And I did from uh, New Year's Day through Easter. Wow. And that was pretty much all by myself. Yeah. Um, and since I decided I was going to definitely ride every day, sometimes it was at night. <laughs> sometimes it was during the day. Sometimes there was snow on the ground. Sometimes there was ice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was raining. Sometimes it was sunny. Sometimes there was horizontal rain. <laughs> there was all of that. <laughs> and some days I'd think, okay, I'm going to get out. I'm going to ride the same route. It's my typical route. I've done this many times before. I'm not going to see anything different or unique. I I would try to take pictures and every few days I would make a Facebook post and share with people and people enjoy watching that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go out. It's going to be boring, but something would happen like a full moon would rise over a still river. Or one night there was a herd of deer that I encountered at dusk and I ended up cycling in the midst of a herd of deer, stupidly racing them. (laughs) But (laughs) it was, I mean, and I guess if I were making a a conscious choice and really thought about it, I wouldn't do that, but I was feeling really good. And I had a, uh, I was using a bike that's really stable (laughs) and I decided to try to outrun the deer, which I eventually did because they're only fast for a little while. (laughs) <laughs> but I was running, I was riding with deer right next to me and in front of me, which is not a good thing to do. Wow. You know, don't do this at home. Wow. But 
it, it, you know, made me think of like swimming with dolphins. It was just amazing. Yeah. They're kind of watching me uh, out of the side of their eye, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was not a smart thing to do. And again, if, if I were, if I just sat back and thought about it, you know, I'd like to think I wouldn't do it, but it, it unfolded pretty quickly. I mean, I was on them in, in a couple seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's just like, well, yeah, here we go. <laughs> and you lived through it. And now you have a great story to tell. Yeah. No, it was a, it's, I had my Norwegian commuter bike from when I lived in Norway. It weighs 40-some pounds with a steel Norwegian-made frame, has two-inch wide tires with 26-inch 26, 26 uh, wheels, mm-hmm. and it's it's a pretty stable bike. Yeah. And I'm not a little guy. Well, and that was my next question. Uh, what kind of bikes do you ride? Well, that's the um, one I've had the longest. Um, I lived in Norway. Uh, we lived as a family there, and I worked there for a year and a half. And I cycled to work. So mm. I cycled in Norway all, in all seasons and got this Norwegian-made com- commuter bike. The first night or the first day I rode to work, I really didn't know the route. I didn't have a map. My Norwegian friend kind of gave me verbal directions, and it was miles that I had to go to get to the office. Mm. It was in February, <laughs> so it was pretty cold. Uh, there was fresh snow. I had to go through woods and fields with oh, a path geez. through farm lanes and then come into a commercial area so and it was dark oh, when okay. i started and the headlight was one of those ones with a generator <laughs> sure sure yeah so that was that was a pretty fun experience but you know i remember cycling home in horizontal rain and this was in a farm area with no trees oh. uh, and it was a slight downhill and Uh, rolling into the wind with this horizontal rain on this slight downhill. I couldn't coast downhill. (laughs) It was so strong. But they have a saying in Norway that's stuck with me ever since and is really helpful for cyclists too. There's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothes. Ah, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And Pittsburgh people I found are really uh, sturdy uh, cyclists. I started cycling as an adult living in Houston and that part of Texas is uh, fairly flat, certainly flatter than here. And um, it's got more moderate weather, too. And I, when I moved up here, and I, uh, I moved up in midsummer, I, I did a, an MS ride, Cook Forest River ride, which is a beautiful one-day ride on a Saturday in September. But it, it's a little, it can be a little chilly then in the early morning. Mm-hmm. And so I got up there, and it was cool rain early in the morning. And it was beautiful later. It goes along a river. It's a beautiful ride. But it was cool rain and everybody was okay with this. <laughs> and uh, when I saw people cycling kind of in the other direction in cool rain, people were smiling and <laughs> happy and laughing. And that's just the way they were in Norway, too. You could be out in cold rain hiking in the hills and people were just completely content. Americans might be complaining whose idea was this. This is crazy. <laughs> but if you have the right attitude, if you have the right clothes, you know, it can be okay. Yes, that's definitely definitely the truth. Okay, so I would say living in Norway and getting to commute to work sounds like a great adventure in itself, but you have been on a ton of great bike adventures. So are there any that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, I had decided in college that I wanted to ride across the country, and I did a lot of research with that. And I ended up uh, latching on to a group called Bike the U.S. for MS, it's a very small organization, and they collaborate with the National MS Society, but it's a smaller uh, and different organization. Mm-hmm. They also support MS research and people with MS. They have a staff of two in Blacksburg, Virginia. They have five U.S. routes. They have two in the U.K. as well. 
there's Bike the UK for MS. Mm. And I decided from reading people's blogs and, and thinking about things that I really wanted to ride for charity. You can you can ride across the country and pay an outfitter, you know, $15,000 or so, stay in a motel every night, or you can ride solo. And I have a friend who did that. I watched his blog. That, there are a lot of good things. I've, I've cycled as long as 10 days solo self-supported. Mm-hmm. And solo self-supported, you're on your own schedule. You can stop and go wherever you want. But the problem is you're on your own schedule and you do your own logistics. Right. <laughs> so you have to figure out where you're going to be, you know, to make things work uh, for you. And when you meet people, you meet them and then they're gone. And it's great to meet them, but then they're gone. Mm-hmm. And when you cycle long distances and, and cross country with a group and, and like the Spike the US for MS organization, typically the groups might be 15 or 20 people. After a couple of weeks, you become like family. And so you have the experience of meeting new people along the way every day, but also being part of a group that is, you know, like I say, becomes like family, mm-hmm. becomes really close. And when you're cycling with a service-oriented group like them, uh, the people tend to be service-oriented, and that's great too. Mm-hmm. So with them, you'll stay in churches or community centers, typically maybe campgrounds or camp in, in a town park. So you end up sleeping on the ground or on the floor uh, pretty much the whole time. But you know that you're doing that because you don't want to use the organization's money for anything other than to help people with MS. Sure. You know, you're doing it as a service thing. And people, I'm, I'm 60 now, so people my age and older, typically, they'll stay in B&B sometimes or, or get a room and share it. So that happens too. But being with service-oriented people uh, is great. And then when you encounter people, I think it's a different experience. Well, I know this because I've cycled solo as well self-supported. When you encounter people and you're cycling for charity, it's a bit of a different experience. How often do you have people hand you money? Strangers hand you cash, right? Yeah. So that's happened many times to me and other people as much as $100. And that's, people have handed me $100 more than once. Wow. (laughs) We stopped west of Cleveland. There are these million dollar houses along the lakefront there. And four of us stopped in somebody's driveway uh, to wait for a fifth person to catch up. And the homeowner came along in a car, needed to turn left to get into their driveway, and here we were standing in it. So we were in the way. They they parked in the driveway. We were very apologetic. Uh, the guy was super nice. He gave us all the money in his wallet when he found out what we were doing. Wow. That's not unusual. Yeah. I've, I've had truck drivers in a country road uh, like you have a lot of in Iowa. I've had, I remember a truck driver in the Midwest just stopping his 18-wheeler on a a really quiet road, just got out, wanted to talk and gave us water. I've, I've had people hand us water other times too. I, I guess I'd say one thing is <laughs> I tell other people this, not just people in Iowa, but one of the best things about the Northern Tier route that we cycled or I cycled with, uh, with Bike the US for MS in 2017, Maine to Seattle. One of the best things about it, I think, was the people from about the west side of Cleveland all the way through North Dakota were just great you're a stranger everywhere you go. And so the way people treat you as a stranger, you know, is important. <laughs> and people just routinely uh, would treat strangers with kindness and respect. Mm, nice. And in the East, it's not like that, typically. Mm-hmm. Most people are just great. But there are a lot of places you'll run across a few people who will flip you off or yell at you. And that happens in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And that happens lots of places. Right. But in the Midwest, um, there's ju- just this uh, really special courteous behavior. And in the East, sometimes 
people tease uh, about that. But I've, I've come to see that as a national treasure, really. And when you say um, you go on these cross-country tours, are you supported or are you trying to carry all your gear with you? No, as I said, I've, I've cycled as much as 10 days solo self-supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, cycled from here down to Blacksburg uh, like that a couple of years ago and carried all my stuff. But on the Bike the US for MS rides, they have two vans and one pulls a trailer. So you have a uh, cubby that's maybe three feet by two feet by two feet or something like that oh, sure. for your overnight gear. Mm-hmm. And you have another smaller cubby for food. And then the, the van that doesn't pull the trailer is the rest off van. That has some plastic bins in. You have a slot, so you have a space to put your morning layers in. You can keep your midday food in there. Rest stop van typically rides out 20 miles, and then everybody catches up to it. Then it goes out another 20, and you mm-hmm. catch up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's supported that way. You don't have to carry so much stuff. And it, it's a they've been doing this for 13 or 14 years, and you know they kind of know what they're doing. I think. Yeah, I was gonna say they've got it nailed down. And it sounds like most of the money earned or the proceeds are going back to the reason that the event's happening. Yeah, as as much as they can. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people come up to you and tell you their stories. They'll see that the van says Bike the US for MS on it in big letters, or they'll see your jersey. And people will just stop and talk. Uh, people will drive up to us and roll down their window and say, I have MS or another family member or friend and, and tell you their story. I, I tried to experiment uh, with fundraising <laughs> a couple of years ago along the way. I went into a thrift shop. We love thrift shops. You have this teeny little cubby of clothing, and you may not have exactly the right stuff at the beginning, but uh, the young people especially you know, love thrift shops. Mm-hmm. So I went into a thrift shop to get a, a clothing item, and I saw a stationary bike for sale for $4.99. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I got it. And the head route leader uh, gave me permission to use it for fundraising. So in the same little strip shopping center, there was, I think it was a Kroger's grocery store. And this was in Kentucky, in a small town in Kentucky. So I set up, I got permission from the manager of the grocery store. I set this thing up near the door and I just started pedaling on it with my Bike the US for MS jersey. And people gave money. <laughs> and this, we did this several times in small towns. That uh, is awesome. What a, that yeah. is such a great idea. And the first time that we did it, someone coming out of the grocery store, by the time they came along, it was more than just me. There were maybe three or four of us there. Somebody came out of the grocery store and they had MS. And here we were uh, for them, basically. Mm-hmm. Not just uh, theoretically, but really for them. Uh, not just uh, with a monetary donation, but actually spending our time and, and physical energy uh, for this cause. And they cried. (laughs) You know, this was a total stranger coming out of the grocery store, encountered us, told us their story. You know, we told them what we were doing. And yeah, it was that meaningful. Mm -hmm. And that's not unusual. So solo (laughs) self-supported. You know, you just don't have those those sorts of experiences. Sure. It's it's just great. And does that organization still exist today? Yes. That's what I was going to do this year. I'd planned a six-month ride with them. I mentioned they have five routes. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's an Atlantic coast from Florida to Maine. That's in April and May. And then late May to early August, uh, they have one that goes from Maine to Seattle. And then at the same time, Virginia to San Francisco. And then Maine to Seattle one, the support vehicles go from Seattle to uh, San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then in September, October, they go from, uh, there's a route that goes from San Diego back to Florida. So those there are four routes around the perimeter and then one across the center. Two years ago, when they added the Atlantic Coast route, 
two people cycled the whole thing, the big loop. And there are a couple of route leaders who've done the whole thing too. Um, Do you know how many miles, how many miles that is? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's 11,400. Oh. Yeah. Six months. So I was going to do that this year. I'd been planning it for more than a year, but uh, the first two legs of it now because of the coronavirus are canceled. Right. Um, So the organization, they're coming up with some virtual activities and I've kind of done a, a little bit of study of, of cycling fundraising, especially in the region where I live. And I'm pretty sure if you counted all the little uh, fundraising bike rides for a particular trail or, or smaller causes, along with the really big ones like the Pan Mass Challenge for Cancer mm-hmm. that raises tens of millions of dollars, if you add them all up, it's got to be a thousand rides. And it's got to be way over $100 million for charities that they collect each year and generate Mm. uh, for cancer and MS and and all kinds of other charities. And, you know, at least the first half of the year, that's that's a problem. And either everybody's going to cram their rides into the second half of the year or they're going to have to find a different way to raise funds or the causes, you know, aren't going to be as well supported this year. So people are just now trying to figure out what to do about all that, I think. Mm -hmm. And the Bike the U.S. for MS people, they've come up with a uh, stay home for MS. <laughs> Instead of bike the US, it's stay home for MS. They just rolled that out yesterday. And they're starting to have some virtual events. And I'm I'm hopeful that we'll do some fundraising associated with those too, mm-hmm. because it's needed. Sure. And I have seen quite a few organizations, you know, like you mentioned, that are doing virtual rides now. And it's, it's novel, it's new, and I'm hoping that it does get some traction because it is kind of fun to go for a bike ride and say this is in honor of this person or this organization, um, but to somehow figure out how to to raise money for that organization while you're doing it, that's a whole new battle. Yeah. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Bikes and Beers is the first one that I've seen. They had lots of rides around the country that were in-person live bike rides as fundraisers before. And as far as I've seen, they were the first ones to come along with a well-formed virtual ride event. This is the day one of it, actually, April 1st. Okay. So we put that on the Facebook group. Not that we want to have it full of these charity rides, but it was the very first one. Mm -hmm. So I I really wanted to reward their initiative, but also get people out there thinking about, you know, this is the kind of thing that can be done for other things too. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Autism Speaks is, is the charity that they're supporting. Okay. Um, you're at the point now, you're retired, and you're hopefully doing some biking outside or on your trainer or at some level. I think I wrote on a Facebook page yesterday that even if you're like doing circles in your garage, at least you're on your bike and uh, learning how to make tight corners, I guess. But uh <laughs> Like, where can you be found if you're not out biking? And I guess, actually, I should rephrase that because you're probably on your computer a lot now that you are <laughs> running a almost 4,000-member Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had planned to cycle yesterday, but I, I did an interview like this, and I was learning to be a, a better administrator of that Facebook group. Yeah. So I actually didn't get to <laughs> cycle at all. And I'm still hopeful for today. Sure, yeah. <laughs> to be able to get out. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, uh, last question for you. Uh, any advice you'd give someone who maybe they don't think they can or should be riding outside during this unsettling time? Yeah. Well, it, it's really an individual decision. And some places in the world, it's it's not permitted. Sure. There are whole countries, I think, right now where it's not permitted. And it, it's going to be different from place to place and people's different situations. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an individual choice. And if somebody feels like they shouldn't be, they probably shouldn't be. Right. Um, because right. we really want to be safe. We don't want to um, add any burden to the healthcare facilities at this time. Mm-hmm. So the people who are choosing to go out and ride, from what I see, almost all of them do it, do it solo or with the family member. They don't go very far mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they tend to go slower. They're being, everybody I think is being especially careful. And many people, uh, if they're lucky enough to have a trainer or a stationary bike at home, many people are doing that instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can, you know, obviously do a bike ride just to do a bike ride, uh, whether it is on your trainer or outside, but you can also do it uh, socially with apps or uh, websites like, you know, Peloton or Zwift, where you can be interacting with other people and still you're not around people physically. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, Fred, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm assuming people who are listening to this are on Facebook and they can go to Social Distance Cycling Club and become a member because it is a public page, correct? Yeah. And I'm always looking for new ideas to interact. We have a Strava group just because somebody had the idea to have one. Okay. Uh, This weekend, we're going to try to do a cycling relay cycle around the world, see how many miles uh, we collectively rack up and whether it's enough to go around the world. I mentioned the bikes and beers thing. There was a can't get dropped uh, ride, indoor ride with Zoom today as an experiment. We've had people serve as virtual ride leaders. And when they've had themes, that's been a pretty fun thing. So we're open to suggestions. Somebody suggested a T-shirt. And they were uh, not busy with other work right now, so really could use some work. And I think I think they've gotten orders for more than 200 T-shirts already. So I'm open to ideas if people have ideas for things to do that can help us get through this together. Yeah, I, I have two T-shirts that I've ordered, so they're on their way to me, which should be fun. And they literally say Social Distance Cycling Club on the shirt. They're really cool. So it sounds like uh, if you go to your Facebook page, you'll see different activities and things that you can do socially from the comfort of your own home. Yeah. One other thing I might mention, this weekend, there's a really special activity. A really great bike film festival was planned in May. They've been doing it for many years in Portland. Mm-hmm. And then you can you can hire the uh, compilations of short films they put together and do your own film festival in your own city. And we were going to use a couple of those in Pittsburgh, but they can't have it in May. Maybe they'll have it in September. And instead, for the first time ever, they're going to do an online festival. Oh. It's part films, part music, and part other things, but it's on Saturday. And... Uh, I definitely plan to participate. I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see. I think it's called Global Bike Festival, and it's it's put on by Filmed by Bike, which is in Portland. Cool. Okay, so check out Films by Bike or Global Bike Festival. I'm sure if you Google either of those, you'll find the connection. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Fred. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. 
Well, that's it for this week. A big thanks to Fred for taking the time to chat and also for taking the leap to create the Facebook page called Social Distance Cycling Club. He mentioned that there are now t-shirts available for purchase. You can go to blackbisonoutfitters.com to place your order. Also, if you're listening to this podcast episode before April 4th, 2020, you can go check out the online event Fred mentioned being put on by a nonprofit group called Filmed by Bike. It's called the Global Bike Festival, and the cost is around $12. Go to filmedbybike.org to get more info. I'll be putting this info along with a bunch more links in the show notes, so please take a look. And of course, email me your topics or names of cyclists you find interesting at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check out morphologypodcast.com to find all kinds of great info. I will leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote is from Jesse Jackson. At the end of the day, we must go forward with hope and not backward by fear and division. Think about it. Mm-hmm.